Good morning and welcome to the Gold, Goats, and Guns Market Report for today, Sunday, uh, January 7th, 2024. My name is Tom Luongo and we have a lot to talk about. And I am not going to talk about um, all the silliness that went on yesterday over January 6th. Though I did find it really funny that everybody and their brother took advantage of the opportunity to you know, mark the four-year anniversary of Happy Take Back the Capitol Day. That's the last I'll say about that. Let's get started this morning. Um, I'm more interested today than uh, with what's getting planned in Germany than I am any of the you know rotten nonsense that Joe Biden has um, decided to you know run his campaign on. I'm um I, I spoke with Dexter yesterday for a while and he and I both agreed that we're like we're watching them open up the the Biden campaign. All I'm going to say is this. Uh, real quick, is the following. Did they not learn their lesson in 2016 when they had Hillary Clinton run her campaign with a bunch of 31-year-olds out of Brooklyn? Um, they're making the same mistake that they did then. Like, if you if you read the article that I linked in the, the part one of the GOAT predictions for this year, article that I posted on the blog earlier you know, this week, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They are literally running the same playbook that failed for them in 2016. And it's only going to get worse. But I want to talk about the new German truckers revolt, which is happening all across Germany. And it's supposed to start tomorrow. This is a big deal. I have a, we have a German patron who's been uh, helping me understand what's going on, feeding me good information and news about what's happening in Germany. And basically kind of like, you know, my eyes and ears on the ground there, along with my other German contacts that have, you know, showed up over the years and tried to help me understand Germany. We all know that Germany is the linchpin for the entire EU. As goes Germany, so does the EU. The if Germany is in the is in the um the throes of a political revolt, then so is the EU, regardless of the way Ursula von der Leyen presents herself at the podium. So I it's this is a real thing. This is a big, big thing. Um, it's very clear that AFD is becoming a real problem for uh, the establishment in Germany. The there are now three things we have to take into consideration. One, because AFD is surging towards forty percent support in East Germany, the CDU, nominally the German equivalent of the Republicans, Angela Merkel's CDU CSU, as they're known in Bavaria. Um, the Christian Democratic or Christian Social Union, um, they're trying to, or they have now officially filed a right-wing splinter group. Now, the question is, who is, you know, who do they, you know, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to split the AFD vote, right? Um, or are they trying to split the CDU vote? Because the CDU is leading AFD in the polls nationally. They're winning by about 8 to 10 points at this point. AFD is polling between 22 and 24% nationally. CDU is polling about 33%. The two of them can get together and easily, you know, take over the Bundestag tomorrow. And, you know, you know, it would be, you know, nominally it would be a center-right anti-globalist coalition in Germany. And notice how that's not happening. As a matter of fact, what actually happened recently was that the FDP, which is the minor party in the traffic light coalition that Olaf Scholz nominally leads, um, 
had a vote to as to whether or not they should dissolve the government or not. They should pull out of the coalition. Well, from what I understand, um, that vote was, you know, no shock. They voted to stay in the coalition and not leave the government. That I'm not shocked about at all. What, and I'm actually not even shocked about this, that there's also, you know, questions about the votes of legitimacy and uh, its transparency. So reading between the lines and some of the broken German that I've been, you know, um, trying to parse here. So I'm not surprised about that at all. But that does, none of that none of that matters, excuse me. At the end of the day, no one can rule if they do not have the consent of the people. These people all across the West are desperately trying to hold on to um populations that no longer want to be led by these, you know, evil blood-sucking vampire cocksuckers. And that's it. And you can see it rising at a at a rate that I don't know that they have a whole lot of control over. We're all worried about a civil war here in the United States, but I, I got news for you. There's a bigger potential problem in Germany. And for every attempt, in some ways, it's almost like in every attempt that they try to continue to bust the United States apart, the opposite is that the same thing is happening over in Germany. I'm not saying that there's any kind of directed mass here. Um, or directed attack against the German establishment. There may be. Um, and if it is, and if there is one, it's probably coming from the Brits, you know, in, in, the, in the end trying to, again, triangulate between the EU themselves and the United States. But that would be my first guess. But that being said, you know, I have been accused of being a little spurgy. So, you know, take that for, you know, whatever it's worth. But this these developments in Germany are real. Um, you know, going back, chatting with Alex Mercurius now for six years, you know, you remind, you know, I, I always have him on my shoulder when we start talking about Germany. The Germans don't like political upheaval. The Germans want things to be orderly and they, they want their politics to be relatively orderly. And they don't like what they're seeing. They don't like what's going on. And, you know, that is eventually going to boil over. And what you're going to have is a kind of slow simmer and then an explosion. Because that's the natural tendency for people like that. You know, you see it in, I mean, I, I see it in my own behavior. I see it in, you know, people who are, who are the victims of this type of abuse, this type of emotional blackmail and abuse. You see them, you know, trying to negotiate, trying to negotiate, trying to negotiate, watch their boundaries get trampled, and then they explode. And it's never a good scene when they explode. Okay. I mean... It just never is. And if you've ever experienced that, either because you've been the one exploding or you've been the one exploded upon, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So now imagine that at a, at, at a national level. Okay. And they tried to manufacture that on June 6th, on January 6th, four years ago, and it didn't really work. And then since then, they've been trying to manufacture outrage and manufacture consent about this being an insurrection in order to radicalize, you know, Trump supporters into violence. And it hasn't worked at all. Because everybody's looked at them and going, you're cute, but we're not taking the fucking bait. You're all feds. So I, I find that really, really interesting. Okay, I want to move quickly through these um, these talking points this morning because I don't want to belabor a lot of this stuff. So let's so let's watch Germany really carefully this week. It could be It could be very interesting. I don't think anything dramatic is going to happen, but I could be wrong. Um, 
you know, but we didn't think anything dramatic was going to happen with the truckers revolt in Canada either. And the farmers revolt in, you know, the Netherlands. And yet here we are today. Okay. Um, so FOMC member Logan comes out yesterday and says, you know, you really all should still be planning on the possibility of there being more rate hikes. Now that came out yesterday after the markets were closed for the week. Um, and, uh, the markets had given back a few basis points in the bond markets into Friday's close after I published the chart uh, in the blog post on Friday. It's always it's always frustrating to do that, you know. Always, I, I whenever I write something like that on a Friday, and Friday is one of my days where I have the most time to like devote to writing publicly, and I want to get it done by Friday afternoon so it can hit the weekend news cycle. So maybe it'll get picked up by Zero Hedge and the whole whole nine yards. But then invariably, I'm like, I should really wait until after the market closes. But then I don't want to work at six o'clock or seven o'clock at night either. So you know, it's it's it, it's a it's a tough life, folks. It really is. Um, but I, I want to address something that's 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 come up in the last um in the last few weeks, um, and it, it's come out of the you know recent patrons who I've really appreciated their knowledge and their their clear uh, knowledge and understanding of what's going on. Because they work professionally in in the in financial markets, and they've got really good um, insights into a lot of things. And I'm like, I, you know, I see that I see their posts, and I'm like, auto read. Okay, what are they talking about? But at the same time, it's become it became contentious at, at some point because there's fundamental disagreements about what's going on with the federal with with Powell and the Federal Reserve. That we've reached this moment that, you know, the gaslighting became about with the bond markets moving as hard as they did, it it, it uncovered a, a real functional split. And I, I and I'm gonna go into this now. One of those people has now quit and is now turned into a gadfly for me on, on Twitter. It is what it is, I don't care. I'll continue to treat him, you know, reasonably well until, you know, he gets rude. And then when he gets rude, I'll be like, Oh look, narcissist, what a shock. Fuck off. But, and then I'll get blocked and that'll be the end of it. I've, I've dealt with this before. This is not the first, this is not my first rodeo, folks. But I want to, but the, the important point about this is not the people themselves, but what this brought up, the arguments that were brought up in all of this. And again, this is not calling people out. I get it. Like, you don't agree with me. And that's fine. That's cool. I want that disagreement. It's no argument. What I'm going to now say is the following. The argument is really simple. The worry over the great reset, the great taking, whatever you want to call it at this point, I don't like this this whole great taking thing. I really find this very, very, oh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Um, I just don't, I, I find it very suspect. Like Vivek, I find it, you know, like H1B Obama, I find it very suspect. Um. But I want to remind everybody that, you know, if you're of the hardcore libertarian bent, which apparently these men are, well, you're worried about the communist takeover and the destruction of the middle class. Because, you know, with every um, with every communist takeover, there is a destruction of the middle class. That's exactly what's going on now, right? And everything else. And But what's coming out of the argument is that the Fed holding interest rates of 5.5%, the higher for longer, is destroying the middle class. I'm like, no. 
I guess you slept through Rothbard 101 and Ron Paul 101. The boom is where the middle class got wiped out. The middle class got wiped out 15 years ago. We're only now just realizing it. You don't, and the, and this is, I think, the, the problem. And so what we're getting at here is, oh, no, Powell needs to cut in order to keep the middle class from going broke. The middle class is already broke. It's already done. The boom is the disease. The bust is the cure. You, you've already dealt with, you've already made the problem worse. You've already poisoned people. You've already kept them kept the, the system alive. The way I'm, the, the metaphor for this, the common parlance is, oh, you just injected it with more, more financial heroin. It's actually a really bad metaphor. Okay. The better metaphor is that the middle class and the economy is type two diabetic. Okay. I would argue that we treat diabetes, which is especially type 2 diabetes, not necessarily type 1 diabetes, which is a much different process. You know, not having a functional pancreas is different than extreme levels of insulin resistance. You can cure type 2 diabetes by changing your diet, by changing your lifestyle. And all the attendant effects, downstream effects of that, the autoimmune disorders and everything else that go along with it. You can get, you, you might have to get really militant about it and go like full carnivore or whatever, but there's, there's ways of going there, right? Ways of going through it. You can cure type 2 diabetes. I'm standing here talking into this microphone, having proof as prima facie evidence that it's, that's doable. Okay. Now, how do we treat type 2 diabetes? With insulin. We just give people insulin. We don't tell them to get off the bad food. We don't tell them to stop eating sugar. We don't tell them to stop eating bread. We don't tell them to clean up their lifestyle and get their inflammation markers under control and to do intermittent fasting and everything else. That's all the new fad. And what, the, and what these men are arguing, and I know it comes from a good place, is that we should just lower their insulin dosage. No. You have to go through the process. Zero bound interest rates were giving the middle class insulin. The middle class was already type 2 by a diabetic. The, the economy was already metabolically challenged, metabolically impaired. And we made it worse with 13 years of zero bound interest rates. The way out of that is you, you, you reach a point with your type 2 by diabetes. And I know this feeling that you either have to clean yourself up now or you will die. And there are no other options because every other system, and this is why heroin's not a good metaphor here. Every other system is downstream of the fact that your liver is so bound up and full of fatty intrusions and can't talk to the thyroid to, met, to, to, to deal with your, to, to regulate your metabolism and, and, you process the food that you're eating. And the, in the process of, of doing all that, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You're going to release all the fat-soluble toxins that are stuffed into your into your, your sub-Q fat and your visceral fat all, all through your midsection. Like it, it's, it's miserable, folks. 
It's the first four months of it are hard. Your breath is going to be terrible. No one's going to want to be in the same room with you. You're going to stink as you get rid of all of this stuff. And if you have the fortitude, you come out the other side bigger, faster, stronger, better than you ever were previously. That's what Powell is doing with Hire for Longer. And all he's doing is normalizing rates back to where they should actually fucking be and then want to hold them there. And then everybody else has to deal with that in their own way. And if he never has to go any higher than 5.5%, but you just hold that in perpetuity while he shrinks the balance sheet and forces Congress to change their tune. Congress wants more insulin. And sadly, so does everybody else. But really, what they what the people who are scream, really screaming pivot want is that they still want to be the doctors prescribing the insulin. Because they understand what the process is. So that's in a nutshell for the uninitiated, for the the new people in the audience, or however you want to put it, for those who are not Austro-Libertarians. This is why I went down this route. And to watch Powell do exactly what I would have done had I been Fed chair. As a hardcore Austro-Libertarian, this is the what I, this, he's doing exactly what I would have done. Create facility after facility after facility to ensure that you can, that the that money goes into the hands of those who desperately need it, but that money is going to still be hard. One, it's still going to cost you capital. You're going to have to go to the market and say, we have a plan to improve our balance sheets and, you know, give us money, i.e. raise capital and stop asking for a handout and stop asking for the easy path. And we all get that. So, seriously, this is a this is a type 2 diabetes problem. This is curable. And and the and I hate to say this, but the Luke Romans and the rest of them who say it's not curable that the math doesn't work, they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. We can do this. I don't know that we will do this. Ask me what the probability of these things happening is. And I'll, you know, I'll scream at you. We can argue about whether or not Powell should cut rates this year to four and a half percent in order to give the patient a little bit of, you know, a little bit of breathing room. You know, you don't you don't cure it all in one step. That's possible. But none of this, we need to go back to freaking two and a half percent or whatever. You're crazy. All you're doing is setting this, the all, all you're doing is backsliding. And all you're doing is saying to them, no, really, you can. You can go back to eating donuts now. And you really can't. You never really could. Yeah, by the way, donuts are bad for you in every way. Only, only if you were to fry your donuts in tallow, then the tallow is good for you. But everything else, the combination of the sugar and everything else that goes along with the fat, nah, not, not a good idea. No, baby, just, just say no to donuts. And it's hard. It's really hard. Because the most powerful drug we ingest on a daily basis is sugar. Well, that and, you know, shit-ass propaganda. But, you know, 
we'll go from there. All right. That being said, let's get to the markets. I'll get you out of here. Okay. Yay, gold. Um, let's make sure that you can actually see my cursor and we'll get this done. All right. So yay, gold. We had a great, great run in gold from October all the way up until to last week. And now we get a little one bar reversal here. Um, we should expect this, right? We got a two bar reversal here. We didn't, you know, the, the market didn't collapse. We got a blow off top and, you know, never got a close, uh, excuse me, on a weekly closing basis below 2000. That's nice. We got a nice, you know, run into the end of the year. That didn't challenge the all-time high, but it didn't need to. This was a psychologically important event here. And the market weathered it pretty well. Now, is it rolling over? Yeah. Are we going to get a retest of 2000? Probably. Is that unhealthy? Absolutely not. As I was saying about Bitcoin weeks ago, you had a 60% run in the price of Bitcoin. You're, and you're yelling at Mr. Slammy for taking back $2,000 on a run from you know, 26 to 44. Like, are you kidding? You know, how greedy are you? Silver, on the other hand, is a mess. But I keep saying, keep pushing it down. Keep pushing it down. Keep pushing the beach ball below water. Eventually, it will explode. Um, silver is mired in a very ugly, you know, sideways pattern here. Um, it really is 26 on the high end, 22 on the low end with extremes in either side. And anything outside of that box is just not to be believed. Now, I will say this. We had a nice run here. We had a psychologically breaking moment. We had a two-bar, we had a dead cap bounce and a two-bar reversal of the dead cap bounce. Not a good sign. Technically, silver is in a very bad position, but I will be shocked because it's below the cost of production to take it below $23. I mean, realistically speaking, at $80 barrel oil, come on. But, you know, we'll see. All right. Moving on to Bitcoin. See, like I said, here's your 60% run. And then that was Mr. Slammy. Really? Like, this is a nice pattern here. Yeah, it's been capped. Yes, there's capping action happening with Bitcoin. That you know, So far this week, this is last night's data. This is between midnight last night, Eastern Standard, and, to, and this morning. So don't read anything into this. This is some kind of breakout above these highs because it's not. We haven't gotten a close yet. If this was all of this week coming up, that would be a different story, but it's not. What I want you to notice is, yeah, we got a flat top here because someone's obviously trying to cap the trying to cap the Bitcoin market before I don't know whatever was going to happen this week with the the ETF sign-offs, which is I, I fully expect shenanigans. But what I really like here is the rising set of highs. Or rising sort of lows mean, you know, when we get lows, they're all higher than previously. That means that the that the bulls are coming in at successfully higher prices, to um, to uh, support the price. Remember, because Bitcoin trades twenty four seven three sixty five, weekly closing prices or monthly they're kind of arbitrary, because it's not a, you know, what I mean, it's not a, you know, Bitcoin market doesn't close on Friday afternoon at five o'clock, so the close doesn't have the same meaning right it has meaning but it doesn't have the same meaning as like the gold market or the dow so it's to give you an idea of what where the market feels like everything is at that at the end of that week just aggregating you know that 168 hours worth of trading 
right? So there you go. Um, and yes, for those of you who are, yeah, I can I can multiply seven times twenty four in my head. Um, I, I know somebody out there is listening to this going, yeah, <laughs> he's nuts. I am, and you guys know that. So I, I hope that uh, I hope it's at least entertaining as you go through the uh, the the maze that is my mind. All right. Um, so Bitcoin, I think looks good here. I like the, you know, I like what we had last week. It's kind of a high closing price. Like that's nice. That, that, that closes above all these other closes. That's nice. Um, and maybe we're going to, going to get follow through action this week, but let's, let's wait to see what Gary Gensler has to say, because you know, he's, you know, he's been tasked with destroying Bitcoin. So let's see what he can do. Okay. Herculean task as far as I'm concerned, but you know, Hey, all right, moving on. Brent crude. The best I can say about what's going on in Brent, this pattern is really ugly. I don't know what to tell you, right? It's really ugly. I mean, it's really volatile. It's really ugly. I mean, we're talking about 7% movement from week to week, right? That's what this is. This is the this is the range divided by the current price. That's what this percentage is here. And Brent moves 7.3% a week. How are you supposed to trade it? How are you supposed to invest in it? What are you supposed to, to, to say about it, All right? Um, the volatility is so high. It's so out of control. That it, this should be, you know, I, that it's it's make oil is multi, mostly uninvestable, and yet the numbers are are clear. Demand is up, EV sales are cratering. The world is is rejecting this whole concept that Europe has tried to push on us. So, is this a bottoming pattern in 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 Brent crude? Well, if it was less noisy, I'd say yes. You know. I can't even give you a strong like. Well, yeah, because we broke this high, and I can't, I can't, const can't construct that. What I can say is that looks like bottoming action, and it's a very qualitative read. Okay, I'll just say if you draw a line here at eighty bucks, looks like somebody really wants eighty dollar barrel oil, and nothing, you know, no more than eighty bu bucks a barrel, Brent. But we have a nice high probability setup of breaking this last week's high and trying to break back above $80. And if we get a close next week above 80 bucks, certainly above this um, this high here, I think that would be significant. You know, these other highs are just, you, they're, they're just noise at this point. There's so much noise in the chart, it's hard to tell. Okay. I would, for this chart, unlike Bitcoin, which trades all the time, I think opens and closes here are really important. They've become really important in 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 Brent crude, especially on a weekly basis, because they're ma they're managing the market over the weekend. They're managing market expectations during the you know roughly seventy two hours of the weekend or sixty six hours of the weekend. Okay. Patreon request line. We only have two. Uh, I didn't want to do four today. Um, the list actually isn't very long. It's I think it's longer than it should be. I'm having problems with sticky notes, which is where I keep all these. Um, and this morning it like got lost. It just like stopped working and wouldn't open on my desktop. So, uh, and ugh, it's, it's ugh, so freaking frustrating. Uh, <laughs> the millennials that worked at Microsoft should all be fired, but then Microsoft would cease to be a company. All right. The, you know, you, you know, the, the millennials I'm talking about, not the nice millennials that are in the audience here. You guys are all great. No, really. It's like, you buy a hat like this, you get a free bowl of soup. Oh, it looks good on you, though. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, or Caddyshack reference on a Sunday morning. All right, let's get started. Um, Bore Drilling, it's a um, uh, offshore drilling company um, stationed out of the Bahamas or domiciled in Bahamas. It, it works worldwide. Um, what I'll say is this, this, this downtrend here has not really been reversed. You could make the argument that this is a, that this bar is a reversal of that bar, but this is actually technically an up bar. And then we didn't get a close above this bar. What I'll say is the following. Do we see price action above the high from this bar here? No. So basically seven bucks, seven fifteen to seven twenty-five is pretty much what the market believes is true value on the stock. It's a nice through line. We're we're just trading around this line at this point. Um I would say overall, the, the monthly chart is slightly bearish because we had a high, then we had a reversal, and then we've got a reaction high and we could be rolling over, right? Because we've got a new low, but eh, let's wait for a new set of highs and lows to see if we establish a new trend down. Um, paying 2.8% now, apparently that's a new thing. I did read a couple of reports about what's going on with the company. Um, and uh, they had a bad Q3, which is why the... Um, or they had a good Q3, I'm sorry, and they uh, published a, um, a a restructuring plan and all the rest of it, and Wall Street seems to like it. Uh, I didn't do, I didn't go much farther than that. I read, you know, literally did five minutes worth of due diligence on the company and went, mm, that's interesting. But what I did notice out of this, and I is that this is now at least the second or third offshore driller that I've been asked about recently, and the other is Transocean, which I know I've done a uh, a look at, but it's been asked again. It's in the list, and I'm going to do Transocean again because it's kind of an important stock, especially it's kind of a bellwether for the industry. I don't mind, you know, updating it, updating my, my look at Transocean. It's actually a company that I've, you know, been interested in, been interested in, in on and off over the last, you know, ten years that I've been doing this. So, um, you know, expect Rig to be, uh, to be out here on the Patreon request one uh, request line one morning. So we'll figure out what's going on. For those of you who don't know, you if you need charts read, you send me a DM, a private message or a direct message here on Patreon. Okay. And I will put it on the list as it were. Um, and they just, you know, I just put them on the list as they come in. Um, two per email, please. No more than that. Because uh, then the list gets unwieldy and then, you know, it becomes a, you know, it's like, no more than two. So, and if you give me more than two, well, I'm going to pick two and go on from there. Um, so there's that. I, I find the interest in offshore drillers to be interesting. Um, we've got, you know, like I said, EVs are failing. Gasoline demand is up. Um, the company has, you know, new contracts. It's got a debt reduction plan. And to me, it actually feels like a turnaround story similar to Rig actually 10 years ago. Uh, it took Rig a long time to unfuck itself. So, you know, this may be another one of those stories that takes a, a few years to, to to finally play itself out. But um, that's probably this period, not this. And this is the beginnings of the next bull market in this stock. It's what it kind of feels like. But I got that vibe. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, Blackstone Minerals is a um, is a. I think it's, I'm not sure where they're domiciled out of, but they've got assets in Australia and whatnot. Okay. 
the big news for them, and this is what I found interesting, is there was a nice breakout in price about six months ago. I don't know why, but it doesn't matter really. Um, but then we had bad earnings in Q3 or Q4, whatever their fiscal year is, in November uh, on issues in Vietnam because they have a big deposit of rare earths in Vietnam and that and the guy who was head, the guy who was heading up the v, so basically there's a Vietnamese company wanting to to develop this mine and Blackstone's got you know got an investment in this along with a couple other people and that the CEO of that company got put in jail for you know badness and in Vietnam it does not take any um it does, you don't have to be particularly dirty you don't even have to be any dirty to be arrested in Vietnam um you want to talk about then you want to talk about a place where the, the state acts arbitrarily. They ain't got nothing on the United States at this point. But that being said, you know, I can make the argument here that there's um it's because of this is a rare earth mine that there's geopolitical risk. That this is a classic example of Western assets, Western companies trying to get access to rare earths outside of China. And China exercised some undue influence on the Vietnamese government to put this guy in jail to stop that flow. I can see that. I can construct that narrative. I'm not saying that's what happened here. I'm saying it's very possible that's what happened. That's what's happened here. And if that's the case, well, you know, I put it in your head. The person who asked about this stock, go thou sully forth and see what you find about this because you might, might be surprised. So... That's my inkling here. That's why the stock tanked in November along with a bad earnings report. But part of the reason why it's a bad earnings report, I think, is because of this issue with with, with, um, with Vietnam. Got a high yield now. I don't know. I didn't do any further look into the company. So, I mean, it's still pay, it's paying 11%, but I don't know how safe that dividend is with the situation with Vietnam. Okay. Moving on. Uh, ignore that because that was supposed to be taken out. That was an old one. All right. Moving on. Um, let's talk about our thing here. All right. The first thing I want to talk about is look at the U.S. German 10-year spread. Now, I've been charting this for over a year now. This is when the TPI was announced back in July of 2022. This is when, this is the, the Fed's um, January, uh, sorry, February 2023 um, meeting where they finally convinced a lot of people that their the Fed put is dead. The Japanese come in in May and or late April and basically set, basically turn the market. Um, but did they really? Well, they did. They turned the market for themselves. But now we have this widening of the U.S. German two-year versus the 10-year. Um, and then since then, Lagarde has basically taken over. Um as the Japanese are exiting their monetary policy and the Fed has stopped raising rates, causing chaos, we now have almost, we have no air at all. The German and U.S. Um, yield curves are completely in line with one another. Now, that is probable because that's the way Lagarde wants it. But I also want you to note that as I said back in October, when the new the ten year spread hit two percent, I'm like, this is not sustainable. We're back now now into the one point eight range. If Lagarde is holding these guys to holding all of this together, a break below about one point seven five on the U.S. German two year spread, that's these lows here, 
would be a very significant event. On a even on a daily closing basis would be a very significant event. It would force Lagarde. We would have to. I want to see that happen just to see what Lagarde's reaction will be. Okay, because I expect it to be. Then we have to you know radically move the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury market, in order to try and make this work. Remember, we got a big rally in U.S. Treasuries, and these spreads collapsed by twenty basis points. that whole nasty capital flight into U.S. assets thing. So for three-month futures curve, this was, I, I updated the dates here. I got rid of some old older series. So this is our, um, this is, these are the dates at where the, what the curve looked like on those dates. But here is the end of last year. Here's Friday's close. Four trading days. Look at the huge difference. And this was after the market gave back like nine basis points over the course of the rest of the day. This was actually four point. I, I when I published the, the the article, this was this the the December contract was actually trading at four point oh four percent. So it gave back more than that. It gave back over almost twelve basis points. Like, was somebody going to go broke on Friday if the you know the silver futures curve, you know the silver. Um, December 2024 contract closed above 4%. Wow. You know, we at that point. US dollar index closed the week up at uh, 102.43. The euro closed down slightly at 109.4. The, the yuan was flat. The yen is starting to creep back up towards 150. The British pound still continues to defy gravity. The Russian ruble is irrelevant. Um, the U.S. German 10-year spread is now a solid 1.85 to 1.87%, and that's exactly what Christine Lagarde thinks she wants. The Japanese 10-year didn't move down a couple of basis points this week, uh, undergirding all of the shit that we're seeing. The copper's flat. The U.S. 210 spread is narrowing. It's now at the narrow, narrowest level it's been in almost a year, negative 34 basis points. Let's watch to see if that drops below 30 this week. That's going to put upward pressure on the long end of the yield curve and the belly of the end of what's important is the belly of the yield curve starts rising. And that would be interesting. All right. Uh, let's move out. Let's go to the Dow. So we had a big move in the Dow. Are we calling this week, Mr. Slammy? Have we cured ourselves of this? Thank you. No, this is not Mr. Slammy. This is what's known as a healthy correction. Note also that the Dow was only down 0.6% this week, but everybody else was down worse except for the Nikkei. A lot of people sold yen and they bought some Japanese bonds and they bought, you know, and they, relatively speaking, sold very few Japanese equities. But everything else got crushed. This is a healthy correction in the Dow. Let's see if it, we it we have a high probability of a two-bar reversal. We're at 80% chance of breaking the previous low. We have like a 95% chance of close, of, of breaking the low from last week. So just looking at the, just looking at it, right? So it's like 90%. So we have a very high probability that we're going to throw the two-bar reversal this week. And then it's going to be a question of where does the Dow correct to? Does it go all the way back to 35.5? Does it not? Does it you know stop at 36.5 or 36.7 or, or the all, the previous all-time high around 36? Not Excuse me, 36.9? That would be great, right? We'll see. But this is nothing bad here. Can't have winners every week. So 
with that said, I'm out. You guys be well. You take care. We'll talk soon. We'll talk on Wednesday. Keep your stick on the ice.